This is a CBC Podcast. In the dead of winter, Canada can get really, really cold. One time, I was hunting in James Bay and sitting for hours in the biting wet snow. My feet were freezing. I started shivering uncontrollably. The more I I huddled down to protect myself from the wind, the harder I started to shake. and The cold just pierced my bones. Have you ever experienced that icy kind of cold that only a Canadian winter can dish out? Of course, on my hunting trip, it was just a, a short hike to our camp and a fire. Normally, if you're outside when the temperature drops in Canada, you have some place to get warm. But unlike me on my trip, Fritznel Richard did not have somewhere to go. In late December, in the middle of a blizzard, a smuggler left Fritznel in the woods near Roxham Road in Quebec. Fritznel was originally from Haiti. Like so many others, he was attempting to cross the border. Except he was trying to make his way back into the United States. Canada wasn't as inviting as he'd hoped. What happens when you've got nowhere to go and you can't come in from the cold? I'm Duncan McHugh, and this is a hell of a story. Fritznel Richard dreamed of a new life in Canada, but a week after he tried to make that trip across the border, his frozen body was found on Canadian soil. Here's Verity Stevenson with her documentary on the life and death of Fritznel Richard. There are about 40 people at the Montreal funeral of Fritznel Richard. People from the Haitian community in Montreal coming together. The only person here who knew Fritznel while he was alive is Richardson Alida, an asylum seeker just like Fritznel was. When he's called to speak, he scans his phone searching for the poem he wanted to read, but when he can't find it, he starts to sing. Gwenda, Fritznel's wife, is on Zoom from Florida, her image broadcast on two large TV screens. And when Richardson starts to sing, she begins to sob and convulse, her toddler Jeffrey sitting in her lap. Fritznel would often sing this same song. One of the last people to speak at the funeral is Franz André. Fritznel 
Franz didn't know Fritznel, but knows many people with similar stories. He helps asylum seekers settle in Montreal in any way he can. Advice, help finding a home, all for free. Most of those he helps are Haitian, like he is. And many also crossed at Roxham Road, like Fritznel did. Franz says, I know the pain Fritznel and Gwenda went through because I see it every day. At 68, he calls this his semi-retirement. He's always dressed to the nines. Today, he's wearing a plaid navy three-piece suit. Standing at the podium, he gets emotional. When he heard the news of Fritznel's death, Franz André reached out to Gwenda, Fritznel's wife. He offered to help answer questions from police and organize this Montreal funeral. They decided to have Fritznel cremated, an unconventional decision in Haitian tradition, but one France says they had to make to be able to afford to bring Gwenda her husband's remains. They're having another funeral for Fritznel in Naples, Florida. France is leaving in a few days to bring Gwenda her husband's ashes. France is at the Fort Myers airport a few days later. He emerges from his gate pulling a small suitcase with Fritznel's ashes inside. Gwenda arrives, Fritznel's wife. She's in a flowing white dress. France greets her and she gives him a big hug. It's a near silent interaction. Over in a few minutes, Gwenda and France drive off into the Florida night. Family is coming in from out of town for his funeral. Mingling in the parking lot of the funeral home, France is there too. This is Guada, an older cousin. She and Fritznel grew up together. His mom raised me for a little while. Kind of like his sister, yeah, his big sister. She's asking us to keep her last name confidential for fear her work might disapprove of her family's irregular immigration. She remembers what a funny kid Fritznel was and how people loved him. One aunt used to call Fritznel her husband as a joke. He'd run to her side every time he saw her. He was born in Haiti and he grew up in Haiti. And then his mom came to the U.S. Um, um, I can't remember how old he was. And then he was with myself and my brother where we were still in Haiti. Their father stayed in Haiti, but later he beat the older brother. This really upset Fritznel. And then eventually his mom sent for him and his brothers. Um, the three of them came, you know, together. And he did come with a green card when he came to the U.S. Some years later, when Fritznel was 17, he was deported back to Haiti. He'd been in the car of someone who had a gun, and they were pulled over by police. The officers found the gun. The driver had a gun in the car, and then he was deported. Gwenda says that behavior was all connected to the negative influence of his father. But Fritznel was determined to find a way out of Haiti. The country hasn't really caught a break since the devastating 2010 earthquake that killed more than 200,000 people and was followed by a cholera outbreak. On top of that, there's been political instability and an ever-growing gang presence. 
Fritznell learned English and got a job as a translator for the United Nations in Haiti. Then he heard there were job opportunities in the Dominican Republic because of all the American companies there. He and Gwenda moved to the Dominican Republic for two years. But the situation in the Dominican Republic is also tough for Haitians, right? It's, it's not the most welcoming place in the world for Haitians. So someone told him, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, it's better for Haitians to get opportunities in Brazil. You know, they're more accepting of us. So then he went to Brazil, you know, because he thought it would be um, a little bit easier or, or just more opportunities for him to, to, to get ahead. But things weren't working out in Brazil either. Gwenda had recently given birth to Jeffrey. They needed a better life for him. He convinced me that he was okay. Everything was okay, but it was not. I literally did not believe that he really made that trip until they find his body and they told us. I just... I, it just didn't make any sense because he's not, he's a smart guy. Maybe sometimes you go through so much that you become so resilient that you think you can get through anything and survive anything. Fritznell's wife, Gwenda, lives in a small white bungalow split into two units. The entrance is sort of hidden by some bushes. A photo of Fritznell is on the table in the living room. Gwenda sits on the couch, Jeffrey on her lap. She shares a happy memory. It was a long time ago. Before he died, he was trying to remind me how we met in our story. The day I met Fritz was in the morning. He was at one of his friend's houses. And I was just passing by. And his friend's house, there was a mango tree. He jokingly said, hold this for your husband by giving me the mango. I didn't even know him at the time and never talked. I respond to him jokingly, what are you saying? You think I'm your wife? He said, yes, you're my wife. You are going to be my wife. It's like we're both looking for somebody to love and live with. It didn't take that long before we started dating and falling in love. I lost a good husband, an amazing partner. I feel my life changed starting with Richard. He's somebody that always gives his strength and try his best while saying, this is what we're going to do, it's going to happen. What are we going to get out of this situation? Don't be discouraged. Keep your head up. If I make you listen to the message he sent me before coming, pushing me and encouraging me. <sighs> Anyways, I have to listen to his message every day because they are the only thing I draw my strength. The only message that kept me going when I can't no more. All I need is to hear his voice. In Haiti, Gwenda and Fritznell have another child, Dawins, an 11-year-old boy. He's been living with family. Dawin is in Haiti because of his school and his operation. A leg operation. It was on the day his father tried to cross into the U.S., Gwenda still hasn't told him his father is dead. 
She's struggling to find the right time, the right words, amid her own grief. Her hope is that she'll be granted temporary protected status in the U.S. and be able to bring Dawins over to live with her and Jeffrey. Gwenda remembers the trip she and Fritznel and Jeffrey took to the U.S. She just shakes her head and says, beaucoup de souffrance, a lot of suffering. She doesn't want to get into the details. She says it took them seven days to cross the Darien Gap with two-month-old Jeffrey. The Darien Gap is a treacherous stretch of jungle at the Colombia-Panama border. There are steep valleys, deep mud, fast-flowing rivers, and bandits who commit kidnappings and rape for ransom. Fritznel thought their struggles would end in Canada, but Gwenda says that wasn't the case. My experience with Canada wasn't easy. When we got here, even with the government financial aid, it was hard for us to pay for the house we were staying at. We weren't working. It wasn't easy at all. I got sick, so did Jeffrey, and the cold. Everything was difficult for us. This is why my husband decided to stay here, and I went back. So she got in touch with a man she'd heard about who could take her to the U.S. border to cross back into the States. It was somebody that I overheard talking about this. He knew somebody that could help you pass the border, so I asked for the number. I talked to this person, and he asked me for $2,000. We negotiated down to 1500 We went for it, and he dropped us off at the border and went back. This is what that person does. It is a job for them. Gwenda says it's the same man who dropped Fritznel off a few months later. She wired the man $800 to help pay for Fritznel's crossing, but doesn't know how much her husband had to pay and doesn't understand why the smuggler insisted on still dropping Fritznel off when a huge winter storm was on its way. She hopes the system can change in Canada so people like her husband can get a work permit faster. Immigration, Citizenship and Refugees Canada says it's implemented a faster system since November and that after a vetting process, newcomers can receive their permit within days. Gwenda also wants the man who abandoned her husband in the middle of a snowstorm to be prosecuted. She says people like him are profiting off of migrants' miseries. The next morning, France drives to Little Haiti in Miami. He wants to see if he can meet some Haitians who've just crossed into the U.S., He's worried others could face the same fate as Fritznel if they don't have the right support. Walking around the small but colorful neighborhood, there are murals everywhere of Haitian revolutionaries and of scenes of migrants getting stopped at the southern U.S. border. France speaks with nearly everyone we meet. In a small gift store, he strikes up a conversation with the shopkeeper, Kerlin. She's helping this younger cousin of hers. So he has court again in June. Um, we're trying to see if we can get him He crossed lawyer, into the U.S. from Mexico a couple months ago. She says he was considering going to Canada. Crossed the frontier to Canada, but... 
just now hearing this story, like I, I could not. Well, I, I don't, anyway, I'm, I'm not supposed to encourage. But I would say if he... Ponce walks to the Catholic church across the street where twice a week there are information sessions for migrants. Let's just cross the street first. They see Canada has a land of opportunity that can welcome us. Father Yuri Jules, he tells us a lot of the migrants he meets here talk about going to Canada. Uh, but mostly when they get there, they find humiliation, deception. At the back of the church, there is a large room where a group of asylum seekers are sitting on plastic folding chairs. Franz introduces himself. He tells them he believes Canada is a more welcoming place than the U.S., but that there are rumors you get residency as soon as you walk in and that that is simply not true. Franz says, I'm not talking to you to encourage you. It's your decision. But if you want information, call me. One man perks up. His name is Alex Antoine. He's heard a lot about Canada, but isn't sure he'll qualify for residency. France has barely left when his phone rings. It's Alex Antoine asking if France can advise him about coming to Canada. Well, he tells me that he's he's looking at possibly coming to Canada. And I told him, I'm not going to discourage you, I'm not going to encourage you, but if you do decide to come, give me a call. You know, you're saying you're not encouraging them, but you are, you're, you're showing them the option. Why do you want to do that? I want to tell them, uh, uh, take decision based on facts and what is the reality. I want to tell them the, can- the can- Canada that I represent by being here today. We have values of respect, of humanity. And I want them to know through me, the values of respect, dignity exist. Even though when they'll be coming to Canada, they may not see it, but through me, they will see it. So I'm a representative of Canada, not to say, don't come. I'm not that to tell them not come. I say, you're looking for hope? There's hope somewhere, and Canada might be it, and I'm there to help you. Do you feel that you want to give them hope? I definitely will. The narrative right now in the States and even in Canada is putting them in a situation where they don't know what to do anymore. They feel once more to be the, the walking dead, you know, across uh, those lands where they never be welcome. Uh, yes, I want to give them hope. The Florida funeral for Fritz Nel Richard takes place on an overcast day. Inside, there's a table with a stainless steel urn and a photo of Fritz Nel from he and Gwendo's wedding. When Gwenda arrives, she walks up to the urn. It's like all the pain from the last few weeks, everything Gwenda and Fritz Nel went through together over the years, it's here in this room. Cousin Guada speaks. Snell was tough. He was resilient. And he was relentless. 
Gwenda gives a short speech. She's being physically held up by family members. She thanks everyone there, thanks France. She says she and Fritznel, they were soulmates. In the end, keeping the urn was too painful for her. Guada took it back to the funeral home the next day so they could scatter Fritznel's ashes in the ocean. Fritznel Richard is going to make a difference. We're not going to let him die. He's more present now than when he was physically because he was not visible. Now he is visible. He is visible. And I'm here. I'm Fritznel Richard. That Dark from Verity Stevenson, produced by Craig Dasson and Julia Poggle of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. More than 39,000 refugees entered Canada last year via unofficial crossings, mostly in Quebec. That number is rising and it's become a political flashpoint. Some worry the system is broken and there's going to be more victims like Fritznell. But journeys by asylum seekers don't all end so tragically. Hi, my name is Mobin and I'm from Afghanistan. Uh, I'm a refugee here in Canada. In Afghanistan, Mobin Maksudi was a college dean. But then he says the Taliban declared him a traitor. He came to the United States for a conference and decided to try to stay, even though his family was still at home. But because of the immigration ban by the Trump administration for the Muslim people, uh, I knew some people there that they were they have been waiting for years and years, and uh, and even they couldn't get the earring. So that's why I decided to come to Canada, because I couldn't be away from my wife and kids for a long time. Mobin tried to enter Canada through Buffalo. He got turned away. So he headed to the West Coast and found himself in a shabby hotel with a shady fella telling him for 350 bucks he'd give him the lowdown on where to cross the BC border. It was really, really scary for me that, oh my God, I never done uh, any criminal things in my life and uh, it's very hard for me to be in a situation where I can just cross the border illegally and when I crossed the border facing with the CBSA officers, the cops and then they, when they come and handcuff me, I was looking to, to the handcuff in my hand that look, I'm handcuffed in my life for the first time and I left everybody behind, my families, my friends, and my background and education, and come here and starting my life from zero, from scratch. Uh, it was really, really terrifying. After a couple days of detention in Surrey, he was released. The first week was a struggle. Then a friend sent him to a place called the Inland Refugee Society. So I was feeling happy. 
to uh, to be in this, this community and facing these wonderful people that they are working from their deepest heart to help refugees to settle down here in Lower Midland. So I was very much uh, for everybody and everybody was telling me how to get to the SkyTrain, how to get a campus card and to be familiar with the Google map, how to get uh, from one place to another place. And plus the immigration process and housing and, uh, and uh, referrals, food banks and everything. He's been in BC ever since, almost six years. Right now he's an Uber driver and he also helps asylum seekers. I thought that I have the ability, I have the experience of uh, starting a new life here in Vancouver. Why shouldn't I start some sort of uh, services that I can uh, help these most vulnerable people that they came to Canada, all the single moms, all the singles, all the couples, all the family members, and even LGBTQ, that they are seeking asylum here in Canada. They came here and they faced with a lot of challenges, right from the economical, I mean, housing, employment, and um, even they didn't have food, any clue, and we had uh, food bank and clothing bank. I asked Mobin if he heard about what happened to Fritznel Richard. He had. It's really, really difficult to digest that and just to feel that, look, these kind of people, they have families and they left everything behind coming here for the safe environment, for a better life here in Canada. It's really, really heartbreaking. Mobin's family finally joined him in Canada last year. He hopes to become a Canadian citizen this year, maybe even an academic again. I want my myself, my wife, and my children to be good people here in this country. I haven't been in other parts of Canada except Vancouver, but uh, overall, I love the weather here. Uh, we really love uh, snow, especially my kids are going to the Central Park, which is right in front of my, uh, my building, and they're going for snow sledding and just uh, making a snowman. So, so they're enjoying, they love snow a lot, and so do I. And that's it for this week's Hell of a Story. The show is produced by Tanera McLean, Julia Poggle, and me. We're part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. And if you're enjoying listening to Hell of a Story, then leave us a rating or a review. We read them all, and we love hearing what you have to say. I'm Duncan McHugh, Jimmy Gwetch. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.